Hello, and welcome back to the Eyes Up Life podcast. I'm your host, Ben Granis, founder of Eyes Up, which started as a 7,000-mile bike ride around the United States to raise awareness for distracted driving, to promote digital wellness, and fundraise for a nonprofit called Text Less Live More, whose mission is just that. Along the way, we raised over $50,000 to fight distracted driving and to help text less live more accomplish their mission so thank you so much to all of you who contributed and helped make this journey possible now the bike ride is in the rearview mirror of course i'm still riding my bike but the big eyes up journey has wrapped up and so too has the maxis series hopefully you've checked out all of those episodes there's 21 of them with really incredible people, athletes of all kinds and experience levels. So check those out if you haven't. But you're here to listen to my conversation with Cycling Mikey. Mike is a London legend. People know Mikey for his YouTube videos where he records people either driving distracted or breaking the law in some way on his way to or from work. And he's become infamous for catching people and the police love him because he is helping with traffic safety and i think it's really interesting that there are dozens of people hundreds even uh mikey says just like him in the london metro area who ride around on bikes with cameras and catch people doing things they shouldn't be doing and is helping to make the roads safer he notes specifically an intersection that has been notoriously dangerous and how since his work has started that uh, it's become a lot safer and people are much more aware of the rules and what they should be doing. What Mikey does is an interesting, unique approach to the distracted driving problem and I'm excited for you to listen in on his background, why he does it, some of his experiences and how if this could translate into something in the United States. I'm not sure it will, but it is an interesting take. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Cycling Mikey. Enjoy, and we'll talk to you at the end. Well, it's good to meet you. Thank you for taking the time to chat. I really appreciate it. Likewise, Ben. Nice to meet you, too. So tell me... Tell me a little bit about your background. What what's your story? Why why are you wearing a road safety shirt? Why do you have a YouTube channel? Uh, just some some general background would be awesome. Yeah, so I'm I'm a Dutch Zimbabwean. I was brought up by Dutch parents in Zimbabwe, which is why I sound a bit like a South African to some people. Um, and obviously my family are big into cycling and using what's called a Velo Solex, a motorized bicycle. And I grew to love cycling. And then, yeah, I came to the UK in 98 and I re- I had some bad health for a while. I, I became a type one diabetic. Um, so I didn't, I didn't cycle or do much exercise for five or 10 years. And then I started cycling again. Well, first skating and then cycling. And then I, I, I just got the Helen with the way uh, some British drivers would treat cyclists. And imagine it's much the same in the US. And in very unlike what you get in the Netherlands. Yes. 
And then around 2006, we saw the first early digital cameras um, come come about. I think it was an Oregon scientific, um, I forget the name of the camera, but it was, I think it recorded in 240p on two pen light batteries. It was a terrible camera, but quite a few of us immediately realized how this could change perceptions around road safety and around how drivers would treat cyclists. So you were unhappy with with drivers for a long time before the camera was even uh, around is that right yeah i started probably about three years or so that i was cycling here in the uk and i suddenly realized how badly some drivers would treat cyclists now there's quite a lot of hate for cyclists here in the uk and i believe in the us whereas in the netherlands my home country that would be considered pretty weird Right. So, mm-hmm. so actually, uh, some more background would be helpful. So, you were you you were born in the Netherlands or in Zimbabwe? I was born in Zimbabwe. To to complicate to complicate matters, my parents were born in Indonesia when it was a Dutch colony. Oh wow! <laughs> and, and they were as children in concentration camps during second the Second World War. Wow. So yeah, and um, but basically, we consider ourselves Dutch. Pretty much all my family live in the Netherlands, bar a couple. Um, and we have strong connections back to the Netherlands. So did you spend, you spent time in the Netherlands as well, or? Yeah, mostly holidays, you know, most just visiting family, spending time there, that kind of thing, riding around, lots of cycling, because, you know, it's, it's our way. Right. But you never lived there full time. You went, never you, you went straight from Zimbabwe to the UK. Exactly. Back in 98. Okay. Well, where so where in the Netherlands? I have a personal connection to the Netherlands because my sister and brother-in-law live there. Where in the Netherlands is your family located? From Apeldoorn in Gelderland, which is the province of Gelderland. Okay. Kind of in the middle. Okay. Uh, my sister and brother-in-law and their family are in uh, Den Bosch, which okay. is, I think, pretty central. Yes. I would say. <laughs> But we're uh, descendants of of quite a famous admiral called Michiel de Ruyter, mm-hmm. and I, I quite enjoy teasing my English friends about how in 1667 he burnt the English fleet at Chatham. <laughs> oh man! Okay, well that's yeah. So that's those are very different um, cycling cultures. The Netherlands, the Dutch have uh, you know an amazing infrastructure and respect for cyclists, and they almost have priority over cars it feels like uh versus yes. i've never ridden a bike in the uk but from your videos and from what you've just said it sounds like it is similar to the us which i actually didn't didn't know was was true yeah i think the sizes of the roads are different and obviously we we drive on a different side but otherwise the sort of attitudes and cultural infrastructure and that sort of thing seem to be somewhat similar to me so has has advocating for safer roads been your career or is this a side thing like do you have a a full-time job that you work you know during the day or or no yeah i have a full-time job um this is not so much a hobby for me as civic duty and probably it's only really quite a small effort on my part because i think i catch an average of about a driver a day over the last five years and that takes about 15 minutes of um, video splitting and reporting online to report one driver. 
So I don't spend that long doing it. It's you know I quite often get accused. Oh, why don't you be a policeman? Or you failed the the test to be a policeman. I, well, I've never wanted to be a policeman. I don't think I could handle the death and the blood and the gore of being a police officer. Right. It's a it's a lot more than just traffic safety for sure. Um, yeah, and you know there could be some very good efforts made towards infrastructure, but I don't feel I have a strong lever in getting people to change infrastructure. Whereas with a GoPro camera and the ability to report these traffic offenses online, I do have a strong lever to change driver behavior. So walk me through when you first, what your first reporting that you did, how did you know that you could report people to the police with an effect and how did it sort of snowball from there? So the whole process of reporting people took a lot of effort from lots of people and a lot of time to come to the point that it is at now. Back in 2006, the only reports you could do were in person at a police station and by burning a CD or a DVD and filling out a long, a long reports. So you'd really only bother for the most egregious of crimes, like, I don't know, a very dangerous close pass sort of ordinary level close passes you wouldn't bother with because it'd just take too much time and be too much hassle. Um, before 2006, when we didn't have video, there was very little point in reporting anything because a lot of companies would just take their driver's word over it and the police wouldn't be able to act without an independent witness. Um, so yeah, after 2006, either reporting online to the police or to an employer with video was a little bit effective. Not very, but a little bit. And then somewhere around 2008, 2010, I forget exactly, here in London, they moved to using this um, this police group called RoadSafe, who were more about fixing problems like when an intersection was demonstrably unsafe or things like that, and about, about education. So, And they basically moved to that because they were getting flooded by reports from cyclists, not just me. I'm, I'm just one of many. I mean, maybe I'm the most well-known at the moment, but there are lots of people reporting. So then they moved it to RoadSafe, and they would now quite often write bad the, the registered keepers of vehicles if there was some bad driving with words of advice. And that was a bit effective. You know, it wasn't perfectly effective, but it would definitely change the behavior of some repeat drivers that I would see regularly on my commute. And then around about 2018, um, they moved from doing this to actually prosecuting drivers via a formal reporting system with um, with the traffic offense reports in that, the, you know, that the police use themselves. So they would... Um, they would actually take our evidence, and if there was enough evidence, they would go and prosecute the driver. And so that's pretty and recent one, that, that 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 was a change, you know, 2018. Yeah, like six years ago. I, it may have been 2017. I don't remember exactly. I didn't pay that much attention. Sure. You know, I was busy with other life stuff. And then I suddenly started seeing more and more prosecutions going through. Um, and I remember being annoyed when they altered the form because I was like, well, this is harder to do than it was before. And they're asking for far more details. But once I realized they were doing proper prosecutions, I'm, I'm absolutely fine with this. And then I realized that actually I can make a difference with drivers who aren't just directly affecting me. So, you know, not just the people who do a, new, a near miss on me while driving on the roads, mm -hmm. but people I see going through red lights that didn't affect me. People on the phones, people going on the wrong side of the road. And then because I realized that had an effect for everybody, um, I started reporting as much as I could.
How did you know that these folks were being prosecuted? Like, is there a way to like see the follow through on the reporting system? So the the feedback from the police has been on and off, and it's currently quite bad. Um, originally, they really the, the the idea was that they would give feedback to everybody who reported, but I guess you know that takes up police time and probably resulted in some police some complaints to the police when things weren't followed up. To be fair to the police, those most of those complaints are without without any basis, and it's more because many of us cyclists didn't know what the required level of evidence was for something to be prosecuted. You know, taking someone to court over a driving offense isn't as easy as it seems. You know, just seeing someone holding a phone isn't necessarily enough evidence to get them prosecuted for for mobile phone driving, if that makes sense. So then what would be an, an, an example of an appropriate level of evidence? Because I've seen, you know, s- several of the people that you've recorded are you know, they just have their phone in their hand at a at a stoplight. Yeah. So before um before May, sorry, March last year, there was an older version of the mobile phone law in existence. And with that, it was much harder to prove um, a mobile phone offense. Effectively, you had to show the person was holding a phone, using the phone, and additionally using it for some kind of interactive communication. So that would be WhatsApp or messaging, iMessages or making an actual phone call. So if they were just holding it and, and say, looking at maps, that wouldn't be enough. Now, basically, then pe- people realized this was a problem and they, they updated the mobile laws. And now it's quite a bit easier to show that a phone is being used. So you have to show, for example, you have to show now that you have to show the the number plate of the car. You have to show that the car was not parked. It was in a live lane of traffic, even if it stopped at the traffic lights. Then you have to show some version of handholding of the phone. And then some any any kind of use of the phone, be it just looking at the screen, lighting up the screen, talking on it, using any of the apps, taking pictures, that kind of thing. So they basically they tightened the law up a great deal. Do you think you had anything to do with that? Maybe indirectly, maybe just as a result of what they saw. But I think the primary driver was quite a well-known case called um, the the Crown versus Ramsey Barreto. Ramsey Barreto is a driver who got caught by the police taking pictures of a crash on a motorway. I guess it's a freeway in America. Yeah. Um, and they, they prosecuted him. He was found guilty at, at, a, at a more ordinary court, and he appealed, and the case was thrown out because he was only taking pictures, and the original law did state interactive communication. So if he had been sending a text message instead of taking a photo, it would have yeah, been a Yeah, if he had result. been provably sending a text message. Right, right. which is also hard so, to prove. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of successful reporting to the police comes down to knowing what evidence is prosecutable and what is not. Mm-hmm. So, for example, somebody going through a red light here in London, the police won't prosecute unless the light's been red for maybe a second or so. Or if the driver's flooring it to go through the light. So it's not as, you know, you're supposed to stop for an amber light because here in, in London, you get a, a green light means go if it's safe to go. Right. When when you get an amber only light, that means you should stop unless it's safe not to stop. Right. But nobody would ever be prosecuted for going through an amber light. 
And a red light means you must stop. Um, but again, they won't prosecute until it's been read for about a second or so. So that, you know, it's not quite as easy as you think. No, yeah. I mean, these are questions that I've had swirling around in my head around enforcing it. And so this has been really interesting to see a civilian doing this work. And so I'm curious, I, I mean, it sounds like you ride your bike for a means of travel and recreationally as well. But what was, do you have a direct connection to distracted driving or like, is there something that really motivates you? Because this is a lot of work that you're doing. I mean, for some yeah, it is, board, but it is quite a bit. On the other hand, I do still have time for my job and for my hobbies and family. And sometimes it does get too busy and then I'll drop reporting drivers because I want to have a life too, you know? Right. This is, it's a civic duty for me and I really, I don't like doing admin much and this is mostly just admin. So filling out forms, keeping my spreadsheet up to date, it's a, it's a pain in the butt really. So there are a couple of things that motivate me. Probably the biggest one is the way drivers treat cyclists in the UK. You know, I want to have a change of that. I want to have drivers being worried that if they misbehave around a cyclist, that they'll get reported. And there, then there are consequences for that. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people, there's, the nature of cars make us think that we're enclosed in our own social space. And it makes you, people feel that it's a, it's a little bit more on the private side than in public view. And I think we need to change it and, and make people realize there's a risk of being caught. And with criminology, it's the risk of being caught that stops people offending rather than the size of the punishment. Hmm, interesting. If that makes sense. Yeah, well, can you talk a little bit more about that? So, so yeah, and then going on to some of the, just to keep with the, the other motivations. Sure. Another motivation is kind of, you know, walking around with my kids. And part of my job is looking after my boss's um, son who has Down syndrome. Um, and crossing the road with him, well, he's, you know, he's a little slower than the rest of us. He gets distracted more easily and you, you really have to pay attention to to what drivers are doing around you. And it does worry me. And because it's now I'm employed by his boss, the, the idea of assessing the risk is a little bit more formal than it would be with my own kids. But on the other hand, I've been with him for 10 years and he's pretty much nearly like my own son, one of my own sons anyway. Wow. So I feel quite strongly for his safety. Some of you might have seen him, actually. He and I were in a, a very viral TikTok video where a, a royal guard stepped closer to us for a photo. Uh, no way. I I try to stay off TikTok, Mike, so I, I haven't seen me, it. Me too. I think it had like about 200 million views in about a week on all the social medias because obviously everybody copied it for clouds. Right. Wow. That's cool. But yeah, he, he means a lot to me, you know, and that's that's one of the reasons I'm 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 really hot on distracted driving. Okay, and then uh, uh, the final reason is when I was 19, my dad was killed by a drink driver. So that was that was pretty rotten. I mean, it's a long time ago now, but it does sort of just give me that little bit of steel to if if it's 9.30 in the evening and I really rather just kind, kind of stop. But it gives me that little bit of steel to finish one more report. That was in Zimbabwe? In Zimbabwe. Yeah, yeah, a long time ago in yeah. Zimbabwe. But, you know, to save someone else, the, the heartache of, of, of having to, to cope with that is, is, is it's a good thing. Right. Well, so can you, yeah, so can you talk more about um, the, what you were saying before, the, the notion of being caught versus the actual punishment? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly no expert on law enforcement and criminology, 
but I, I think one of the real big principles is it's the risk of being caught that stops people offending. Um, so yeah, having having lots of people out there, citizens. Um, the famous footballer David Beckham was caught by a pedestrian, for example. Distracted driving. Yeah, he was driving. I think in Regent Street. It's a famous shopping street in London. And um, someone filmed him on his phone and reported him, and he got he got he went to court and got disqualified. And disqualified, meaning he his driver's license was taken away, or he was no. no That's right. So here in the UK, we have a fine system and a point system. So some driving offences, like um, maybe wearing a seatbelt, it, it's not endorsable. That means there's no points. There's only a fine. But some offences get points associated with them, and everybody's allowed up to 12 points on their licence. And when you reach 12 points, then you're automatically considered for disqualification. And a usual first disqualification is six months. Some offences are so serious that people will generally be disqualified immediately, like drink driving, for example. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's, there's a get out, and about one in five people who reach 12 points um, employ a defense called exceptional hardship. And that means if they are supporting, say, somebody like Ibrahim, the young lad I work with, who has Down syndrome and obviously needs sometimes to be driven around, it would impose exceptional hardship on him if somebody driving him was disqualified. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, but of course, with car normativity, the justice system is probably too easy on giving people exceptional hardship outs. So they're, they're currently looking at tightening down on that. Okay. Yeah, some people get disqualified for a lot longer. I had um, one driver who got, I, I caught him at the very start of COVID lockdown in, in April um, 2020. I had to think back to what day that was. And um, yeah, he got disqualified for a year on the first disqualification. So I don't know what actually happened there, but I think he, he must have been disqualified once before within the last three years. Okay. Um, and then I caught him again a year later in a different car, and that time he was disqualified for a further two years. So I'm I'm not exactly sure what happens there, but I think that because he was disqualified before, he then gets longer and longer disqualifications. Have you ever had any any close calls with drivers, whether that's when you're on your bike without recording anything, or when you are? you know, getting your camera in the face of someone who's driving uh, for one of these videos? Have you had any, you know, scary moments or moments where someone's been aggressive physically? Oh, yes. I think every every cyclist that's ridden for more than a couple of hundred miles or so will have had frightening close passes done on them, very often in punishment for simply being on the road. They'll have had people pulling out from side roads and failing to give way. Um, so I've I've had a number of those, and uh, you know I, I don't see why we should have to tolerate that. I want people to be more careful when they're driving, not just for the safety of cyclists, but the safety of everybody else—pedestrians, other car drivers, horse riders, anyone on the road. Um, I've also had a few some cases of people being aggressive at me when I've caught them. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, one case was that of a driver on the wrong side at Gandalf Corner. So I should point out to your, to your um, listeners that Gandalf Corner is a corner in Regent's Park in London. And it got called that, I think, because an American viewer 
when they saw one of my first viral videos there, just piped up with the words bike Gandalf, as in you shall not pass to the Balrog. And I, I thought that was really cool. So I tweeted it. And since then, everyone's been calling that particular corner a Gandalf corner. No way. It's, it, it's basically a corner where if you want to turn right, it's all, there's often slow traffic there, although that's died away in recent years. But it, some people want to turn right. So what they'll do is they'll skip the queue and go on the wrong side of the road through a junction and across a couple of pedestrian crossings. So um, that's pretty dangerous. And it's it's it has a lot of cyclists who go the other way around that corner in the correct direction. And some of those are my friends, and I saw them complaining about these drivers. So I thought, you know what, I can go and make a difference there. So that's why it's called Gandalf Corner. Anyway, so one driver there drove into me and pushed me around, kept pushing me. So eventually I had no choice but to go onto his bonnet. And I got driven around the corner. Now you got away with that, actually. Um, apart from a fine for going the wrong side of the keep left sign. Uh, we drive on the left, so, you know, for, for you guys, it would be a keep right. Right. Um, that So that was a little bit of violence with the car. Um, I've had a couple of people get physically aggressive with me. One of them I caught on the well, actually both of them I caught on the phone. Um, one I can't really talk about much, but he's due in Crown Court for assault with actual bodily harm in, in May next year. Um, I can't talk about because obviously it's an impending court case. Right. Another one was a taxi driver. It was much um, much less serious this time. It was really just a kind of a tussle. He wanted to try and steal my camera from me. Um, but I, I stopped him. I was, I'm not a particularly big or strong guy, but I was able to stop him. I did call the police because it was technically an assault. Um, but in the end, I just let the police make a note of it, and I didn't ask them to charge him. And just that, I just reported him for um, his mobile use. Is that pretty much the extent of the the negative responses, like physically, that you've gotten? Yeah, there've been a there've been a couple. I mean, I get some shouting and swearing sometimes. I'm not really too bothered by that. Apparently, it's quite normal for humans to react like that when when caught out doing wrong. Right. Well, so the I, camera sucks. Yeah, the worst of it, I think. Right, that makes sense because they're being filmed, and that yeah. I just, you know, watching your videos as a, an American, I feel scared for you because I know if this was happening in the U.S., I think the result would be much different. And I saw that on your Twitter or X that you had reposted uh, that pedestrian in Oregon who was killed uh, by a, a road rage driver. I don't know if you even remember reposting this, but that triggered exactly what I had been thinking of, you know, with all of the work that you're doing that if, well, I guess I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Do you think someone in the U S could have as much success and stay physically safe doing what you've been doing? I don't think lots of people tell me how people in the U S will be more or, or any part of maybe in different parts of the UK even would be much more violent and I wouldn't survive. I think we're all humans. I think we're all very similar in our reactions. So I don't think that American drivers would react much differently than UK drivers. And even, even say, in, in Russia, I like watching that channel, If I don't know if you know it, called Stop a Douchebag. No, I've never heard of it. It's, it's really quite interesting to watch. And basically, there are a bunch of, of Russian pedestrians and drivers who, who stop um, drivers going on the pavement. Um, and watching them gave me quite a good idea of how to stay safe around people who are driving badly.
Um, so yeah, I don't. I, the, the thing I fear most maybe is somebody driving over me, but I'm relatively careful not to let myself get in a position where a driver can directly and easily drive on into me. So for example, if I've filtered past, this is lane splitting, which is legal in the UK. It's I know it's not legal everywhere in the US. Um, so quite a lot of the drivers I catch whilst filtering up um, past a queue of traffic. If I am going to go back to the near side, I generally won't cross in front of the car I've just caught. I will go a car or, or several cars in front before going back onto the onto the near side, the, the curb side. When, and if I am with a with a driver who's getting angry, I, I'll stay kind of near the rear quarter. You can't really drive into somebody from the rear quarter, and you know, unless it's a car that has rear wheel steering, which very few have at the moment. Right. Um, I'm also prepared to disengage and move away really quickly. If a driver gets out and gets physical, well, so far in about almost 1,600 reported drivers, I've only had a couple and they haven't been too serious. Well, I'm I, one is serious enough to go to court. Sure, it, it, I mean, I, I was wounded and stuff, but, you know, that was, um, I'm okay with dealing with that level of violence. I'd be much less okay with dealing with, say, a knife. I haven't had a face that yet. And no guns drawn on you, I'm sure. <laughs> no, not in the UK. People keep saying, but you get shot in the US. And if I'm in, in a place in the US where people are carrying guns, I mean, I don't like violence, but perhaps I, if I were doing this and felt that strongly, maybe I would be carrying a gun. So I don't really understand that argument either. Hmm. I prefer not to carry guns and not to be involved in guns at all, to be honest. Right. It escalates things. <laughs> Or it could. It's, yeah, it's it's never a good thing, right? And no. and to be honest, a motor car is as or more dangerous than a gun anyway. Right. You can do a lot of damage with it, for sure. Um, so, okay, so getting back to the YouTube side of things, um, how did you decide to start going on YouTube and filming this, and what's the response been? Yeah, so from about 2006, when I first started YouTubing, up until 2019, I didn't have very many viewers. It's relatively small. Um, but my purpose there was in just showing people that this is what they do on the roads is is not private. It's it's in public and the public can get to see if you do bad behavior on the road. I also used it to show companies what their drivers had been doing. Um, and then eventually um, hidden or unlisted YouTube videos were our way of getting videos to the police. So yes, it's about showing what's out there. Um, it's about showing how bad road crime is out on, on the roads. And it's also about encouraging other people to use cameras. Because by myself, I can affect maybe only a couple of hundred drivers a year. But via social media, especially now that I'm better known, I can affect millions. Um, well, I hope I can. But um, I've certainly got a, a string of driver comments on saying how they've changed how they drive because of my videos, which I... I feel pretty good about it. I'm really grateful to them. I respect them for changing their views and improving. Right. You can imagine when I learned to drive in Zimbabwe, that's not really the most con conducive environment to good driving. I, I suspect I was like any young young man, you know, driving probably with reasonable amounts of skill, but maybe uh, faster than perhaps I should have done and perhaps with not with less judgment than I would do now that I'm much older. So I, I certainly learned and improved when I came to the UK. And I learned a lot about my own cycling and driving from watching how I dealt with um, conflicts on the road because I'd go back and look at stuff on the camera. I reckon that's improved my cycling most of all is, is seeing what's happened in, in the past and 
seeing what I could do better. And I, Most of the changes involve not riding in the gutter, not riding on the side of the road, but riding out more in the middle of the lane. So that's a strategy of yours is to ride less actually out of the way for cars and more so that you're clearly a user of the road, not on the margin. Yes, very much so. But it does depend on the road. I mean, some roads are really wide, and I suspect more roads in the U.S. are, are wide enough that it's, it's cool to ride on the edge. But particularly here in the narrower roads you get in the U.K., uh, many of the lanes you have are just not wide enough to share with a car and a bike, mm -hmm. particularly if you then have car parked cars on the side, because <clears throat> then you have to allow extra space for someone opening a car door. Right. And I believe being doored by somebody in a car, a parked car is one of the biggest causes of killed and seriously injured cyclists in London. It's not, it's not a good statistic, but it, it shows just how important it is to stay out of the, away from parked cars. Well, back to, you know, growing your audience, I, I got to believe that having, you know, knowing that people are going to be watching your videos too, and hopefully spreading the message or changing their own behavior keeps you motivated. In addition to what you talked about earlier for motivating you to keep doing this work, does that play a role? Would you say? Yeah, big time. I mean, that's, that is my point. I'd rather not film somebody. I'd rather they stop the, the, the unsafe behavior. Um, and I'd rather it, the, the YouTube channel would motivate more people to catch drivers because then drivers all across the country are going to are going to be more worried about being caught and therefore are going to behave better. So talk to me about the the filming side of things and because surveillance is an interesting thing that I think about sometimes, you know, at least ar around where I live and a lot of bigger cities in the U.S., everyone has cameras on their you know by their front door within their house yes. and now you know people have uh dashboard cameras in their car and you know cyclists with cameras do you think well two questions i guess do you think that we should continue moving in a surveillance heavy world and does it affect your own experience you know recording a lot of your time on the bike so that's quite a hard question. So speaking generally as to surveillance, I am I I kind of generally think it's a positive thing. Perhaps I'm more skeptical when it comes to big brother surveillance where governments and large organizations have power over that data. Um so that 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 is slightly more worrying, but when it comes to you and I, the Joe public having cameras, I think that's probably a, a very good thing. It's more little brother, it's, and it's done more to benefit society but for most people, um, particularly when it comes to reporting road crime. It's a, but it is a good question. I don't really know the answer, but I can't help thinking that because as human beings, none of us are perfect, and some of us much less so than others, that the only way to try and stop some of these bad behaviors we see on the roads and other, other criminal behaviors is to have more surveillance. Cool. But yeah, uh, I'm, I'm certainly, I don't think I have the, the, all the answers, that's for sure. No, no. And that's, that, that's not the point either. It's just, you know, it's just interesting to hear your thoughts as someone who's on the street regularly with, with the camera. The follow-up question I have is just, does it affect your experience 
as a cyclist, you know, when you have your camera rolling um, and you're kind of on the lookout for, for drivers who are, you know, breaking the law, um, does it make it harder to relax and really just enjoy your commute and just that part of your day? To be honest, this is London. It's a really busy city full of congested traffic. So not really is the answer no. Um, you've to, to, to ride well in London, you've pretty much got to have your head on a swivel, as any experienced cyclist knows. And that's hardly different from seeing drivers break the law or not. It's also relatively a low cognitive load for me because I've done this for so many years now. I kind of, I don't even have to try to spot stuff. I have noticed how my eye has become more and more like a traffic policeman. Not that I want to be a traffic policeman. And my memory for number plates. I don't think that's necessarily a good thing, but it's in the end, it's what's happened to me, whether I wanted it to or not. Well, practice makes perfect or makes whatever you're, you've been doing <laughs> easy <Yes>. to do. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just for me, it's most of the time just riding. It doesn't when last year I rode the length of the Rhine. I flew my bike to Switzerland and I rode from from Andermatt all the way to Rotterdam. Oh, man. It's fantastic month long holiday camping. And I had a GoPro with me, but obviously I was filming almost nothing there and I didn't feel the need to film. And I don't think I had very many bad drivers, a couple, but hardly any in a thousand miles. And um, I felt just as relaxed there as I do here. Maybe the only thing I had is I had less bad driving to worry about. It's not, I didn't, it's, I didn't feel indifferent about wanting to catch bad drivers, if that made sense. Mm -hmm. So it's really the only thing that leaves me stressed a little bit when I'm, is, is worrying about what a bad driver might do to me. But the camera thing, well, I'm nearly always recording when I'm riding in London, so it feels pretty normal. Well, I'm glad you had a good bike trip. I was going to ask, actually, if you like to ride, you know, for fun and do longer trips like that outside of your commute. So that must have been spectacular. It was one of the best holidays of my life. But yeah, mostly I'm just a utility cyclist. I'm really quite Dutch that way. Um, I don't really cycle for sports. I just cycle for transport. And most of that holiday was less about the cycling and more about the camping and being in the outdoors. Mm -hmm. ah, well, and, that's, um, that's awesome. They made it happen. <laughs> you know, growing up in Zimbabwe, I love the outdoors. I love wildlife. So that kind of stuff probably will, will rate quite a bit with many Americans. Most right. of the UK feels like a big tended garden to me. And less wild. Is that oh, what you it's mean? not yeah. wild at all. It's like just, it's a garden, somebody's back garden kind of thing. And so you feel like you miss the the wild feeling sometimes? Is that what you're saying? Oh, of course. I think anyone that spent time in Africa will have Africa enter their heart. You know, the, the amazing friendliness of African people, the culture, the outdoors lifestyle, the bush. I, just, I, I do miss it, of course. UK is great too. Many, every country has stuff that's good about it and stuff to enjoy. Right. Well, that's really good perspective to have. Um, I wanted to ask about the back to the the police thing. Since you've been doing this for so long, is there any sort of partnership or do do they give you any sort of reward or incentive to do the work that you do financially or no? So the answer is no. It's all civic duty. I mean, obviously, I do make money from YouTube and occasionally from videos where celebrities are involved. Mm -hmm. That's not my goal. I would do this regardless of making money or not. Um, 
But I do kind of wish it was a bit like the idling law in New York City, where people can make money a proportion of the ticket by reporting. I feel there should be something like that here, if only because it will get lots of members of the public doing this, and it will really strongly affect road safety. Right. As soon as someone knows that they can make a quick buck simply by going about their day, it's got to spread like wildfire. Well, exactly. Especially when you realize how little time is involved in doing these reports. I know that something similar is done in, in Moscow with Stop a Douchebag. They quite often will report dri drivers on their app and get they, they get a, a proportion of the fee. Mm-hmm. It's not a cycling channel, but I definitely would recommend you watch it. It's it's pretty fantastic. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Um, well, yeah, it's it's interesting to see all you know. There's so many different ways that people are trying to make a difference, and this is you being one of them, and it sounds like this other channel as well. There's so many people doing this, you know, this kind of thing. I think I'm not in the top ten of people reporting road crime in London, as in members of the public. And when you say top 10, do you mean by like number of reports? Yeah, by volume. <clears throat> I mean, obviously, I'm the most well-known at the moment. Right. But other people have been more well-known than me in the past. Um, so, for example, Psychogaz and Magnetom, they're quite well-known names. Um, and I think across the UK, there are sort of tens of thousands of cyclists and maybe hundreds of thousands of dash cam drivers doing the same. We saw a freedom of information report. I, I, are you aware of what those are? No. So basically, members of the public in the UK are can ask for information from government departments on on stuff that the public should know. And this particular request got the West Yorkshire Police, and you know the UK is split into different police departments in different areas, and in their area of West Yorkshire they had something like two-thirds of reports came from drivers and one-third from cyclists and pedestrians, which is quite interesting, right? Yeah. So it's not even that cyclists are, are doing it more than drivers. I think maybe more cyclists proportionally, but there's more drivers so that, you know, drivers also want to put an end to bad driving. Right. And it's so easy with a dashboard cam, you're just going around and something's going to happen. button to save the loop, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. And then the other really interesting thing was that the driver reports only resulted in far fewer actions by police and proportionally one sixteenth as often as cyclist reports. And that suggests to me that drivers are much less good at knowing what road traffic offenses are and what is actually bad driving. Mm -hmm. And weirdly, you know, like here in the UK, you have most drivers thinking that cyclists are the most law-breaking on the roads. And apparently it's not so at all. I've seen two studies, one that was done in Denmark and another I think was in Florida. And both of those found that cyclists were slightly more law-abiding than drivers. The Denmark Always, one uh, found that cy cyclists were a lot more law-abiding than drivers. I believe that. They're very much like the Dutch in terms of their their cycling knowledge, I feel like. And I have a feeling it's probably the same here in the UK. And in and the rest of the US. So I think this is also supported by what you see with that West Yorkshire Police Freedom of Information request. Mm -hmm. So it's quite the opposite from when, what many drivers think. Right. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that is interesting. Um, and cool that you were able to 
see that information as well. So do you ever, a question for you, do you ever zoom out and like the impact that you're making is so important and it's huge, the impact that you've made over the years, but do you ever think sort of bigger picture, like what's the, what's the overall solution? Like is, is it getting more people like you to do this or are there more structural changes that maybe you've felt like you wanted to be part of or that could happen? Like what is the, what is the solution or have you thought of it? That's a very good question. Very insightful. So I think that what I'm doing is really only a tactical change. Um, given the nature of we humans, I think that some degree of policing is always going to be required. What I do isn't really policing. It's more witnessing. But it's witnessing is part of a police. I don't know if you've seen the famous quote from the founder of the Metropolitan Police, Sir Robert Peel. And his 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 um, one of his principles is that the police are the public and the public are the police. The police are the only members of the public um, who are paid for duties which are incumbent on all citizens for the welfare of society. Something along those lines, anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, but that'll always be necessary. But I don't think it's the big change that we really need. I think the big change that we really need is to have much more Dutch quality infrastructure. That we really have to change our our roads and cities to be much more like the Netherlands, um, and I think that that will lead to better road safety and better quality of life for everybody. And th- there is an element of reducing driving in that and of limiting driving, and I, I do think that's quite important because by having more people able to cycle and to use buses and trains and tubes, the underground, the metro. Mm-hmm. I think that will leave more room on normal driving roads for those that actually really do need to drive. I don't think the current dominance of cars is the right thing, but I'm not against cars either. I mean, we all need cars sometimes. For example, with this young lad I work with, we quite often need to drive because he can't walk very fast, so that limits his range. And I do cycle with him on a tandem. But even oh, then, nice. that also limits stuff for him because he gets tired more quickly than I do. Right. So, yes, I just feel that going the, the Dutch way is much more pleasant. And you've obviously, I, I guess you spent some time in the Netherlands. Yes, fortunately, I've been able to visit my family out there a few times. Yeah. So, you know, just how pleasant that outdoor terrace lifestyle is. It's unbelievable. Cafe lifestyle. Yep. It's just nothing to beat it. It's fantastic. And you're not really limited in, in your driving. There's just places where it's not appropriate to, or, or useful to drive a car anymore. And it's actually better that way. Everybody has a greater time. Yep. Win, win, win. Yep. So, yes, I, I do feel that infrastructure is probably the biggest change. The second biggest change towards road safety will be as we get more and more cars with GPS speed limiting. I don't know what the status is in the US, but it's coming in in the EU. And at st- to start with, it'll be um, it'll be um, optional, so people could turn it off. But as more and more new cars come in with speed limiting, that will have a, a strong effect on road safety. So, so what what is the speed limiting? Can you talk about it for a second? So, I'm not sure of the exact details, but I believe it's GPS speed limiting, and it keeps the car to whatever whatever the speed limit on the particular road you're on is at. And I, from what I believe is speed here in, in London is around about contri- the main contrib- contributing factor to around 50% of fatal collisions. 
It makes sense, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, when I was younger, I was not very good with speed. Luckily, I'm more cautious than some of my friends, um, than well, most of the people I know. I don't know if that's saying very much, though, because I've done a lot of extreme sports. So I never came brutally short with speeding, but I can see why so many collisions involving speeding can happen. So I'm not very keen on speeding. And I think that as we get more and more cars with, with these speed limits, some drivers will disable them and some won't. But the result is you'll have maybe in the beginning one in 10 cars with a, with a speed limiter on, and that'll automatically limit other people from being easily over to, able to overtake them. And it'll, it'll improve road safety a lot. That's super eventually, interesting. I think nearly all cars will have speed limiting. Yeah. So on the on the note of improved technology in cars, what are your thoughts on the the increase in touchscreen use on car systems and moving away from physical controls? Yeah, I think that's really bad. I think that's a huge mistake, and I hope that lawmakers will reverse that at some point. I mean, I'm I'm pretty reasonably okay with someone changing the radio with physical knobs or the heating or or the the AC, for example. Um, but I'm really not okay when you've got to dive through menus on a touchscreen. It's just as bad, if not worse, than using. Yeah, there's a good graphic from in in terms of research from one of the the road safety institutes here, showing how Android and Apple CarPlay are really bad for um, for distraction levels. Funny enough, they, they put uh, Apple CarPlay as quite a fair bit worse than Android CarPlay, which amuses me as an iPhone user. Huh. Do you have any idea why? No, no idea at all. Huh. I've never seen the the Android version, the, the Android Auto, um, so I, harder for me to visualize. But, I mean, the CarPlay is just, it's a bigger version of your phone. I mean, you have the the inputs that you can do are much simpler it's you know play pause and you know looking through yes. menus but it's the same it's the same distraction level my friend has a relatively new electric car and it's like a spaceship he's um in fact we actually we 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 grew up together in zimbabwe we used to fly radio controlled model aircraft together now we're doing it here in london so i quite often go in his car along to competitions it's interesting watching all the technology in his car I could shout at you if you lane change without indicating. Really? Um, and stuff like that. I, I'm quite keen on things like um, the automated emergency braking type things. Mm -hmm. I think that'll save some lives too. Right. Especially the ones who are distracted and not <laughs> about to rear end <laughs> someone. Yeah, right. Wow. I'm sure yeah. technology has a part. Totally. Yeah. And infrastructure, I think I, I totally agree with you. And that's one of the, my biggest frustrations with being in the U.S. is the lack of focus on mass transit and making that the, the social norm. It's always just focus on building more roads and making the highways wider and, and all of that, which it won't solve the problem. It's absolutely, and it's it's. I don't really even blame the U.S. It's just because the U.S. did most of its road building through a time of, of when cars were king. Right. So you know, it's just a natural function of that, and you know, luckily Europe has had a bit less of that because roads were around so much more before the car. Right, and it's a more, more compact space, 
So well, it it had to be, and that's because so many roads were you know people weren't living there. They were living there in the time of the horse and cart and, and earlier. So stuff was built in in a compact way. If you build stuff when only when cars are around and cars are king, of course you're going to spread it out more. Mm-hmm. Right. So are there are there any infrastructure movements or things that are going on in London or UK more generally that you're aware of that are kind of getting you excited about the future? So sadly, it's very hard to get infrastructure here, probably similar to what it is in the US. We've had a bit of luck. So funnily enough, in Hyde Park, where I catch most of my phone drivers, because it's on my commute, that there's a section of exceptional high quality cycle lane there to Dutch quality standards. Um, and of course, the irony is that some of the phone drivers I catch complain about me not being in the cycle lane, which is fair enough. And I normally, I'm like 99% of the time I'm riding that in that cycle lane. I only ever come out of it when I need to get up and up close and personal to get enough evidence for a phone conviction. Right. But yeah, those, <laughs> that, that kind of cycle infrastructure is really good and it's encouraged lots and lots of people. I think now there are similar ones on many of London's bridges. And it, it now cycle traffic in rush hour far outweighs car and other traffic on those bridges. Oh, amazing. By numbers, which is a huge change from what it was a few years ago. You know how oh, they say, build yeah. it and it will come, and they will come. It's so true, yeah. But unfortunately, you get a lot of territorial behavior from car drivers who don't want to give up an inch of road to um other forms of transport and particularly taxi and private hire drivers they for some reason they really feel possessive about the roads forgetting of course that most roads pre in certainly over here in the uk predated cars right right but no one's thinking about that because it was so long ago <laughs> they're only thinking about current and what their future looks like yeah, and the, the weird thing is it's actually in, in it's to their benefit the more people that cycle the more the more driving space there is for people who have to drive and have to or, or even for those who really really want to keep on driving right and that's just purely because putting space for cyclists means a much more efficient use of road space whereas driving is probably the most inefficient user of public road space it's more efficient and it ends up being safer for everyone exactly and you so, save a huge yeah. amount of money on the, the, the health service because people are healthier and live longer. So right. and, and and when they when health does taper off, it generally tapers off relatively quickly, like in the Netherlands. That ex, that extra exercise is very good for public health. Totally. Yeah. Well, I have a couple of wrap up questions here, Mike, and then I'll let you get back to your afternoon here. Um, what's your favorite part about living in London and in the UK? Um, to be honest, I think I'd prefer living in the Netherlands just because okay. that's where yeah. my family is. Yeah, but they are. They're, I, I do still live, live, love living in London. I love the royal parks; they're just such amazing parks. I love the buzz and the vibe of London. You can eat so many different kinds of foods from anywhere in the world you like here. Um, there are, even though it's a big city, and there's some element of that's that crusty exterior you get from people living in big cities there's still a good friendliness that when you break through to people you know i just really like living here do you think you'll ever go back to the netherlands i don't know um i mean i've got i've got my job and my kids keeping me here so so it wouldn't happen in a hurry maybe in retirement 
Right. So we'll see what happens. Exactly. So outside of cycling, what are some things that you like to do for fun or some of your hobbies? Yeah, I like um I like reading books. I I read a hell of a lot. I always have done. Um and flying radar controlled models. I do quite a lot of that and sometimes with some quite expensive ones. This is a smaller version. I've got one right here. I don't know if you can see it. Oh wow. So it's yeah, it's quite it's not cheap unfortunately. These are um that one was built in Ukraine, so I have a bit of a personal connection to Ukraine. Huh. For some reason, Ukrainians and, and Polish people are just particularly talented at building composite model aircraft. How did you get into that? Yeah, I've always liked flying. Um, I used to fly full-size gliders in Zimbabwe at the gliding club. I was an assistant gliding instructor, and I like flying models. I don't know what it is, but it gives me a huge pleasure. And hanging out with friends, having a barbecue, flying in a competition, that's all really good stuff. So when you were saying you were driving to a competition with your friend, that's what you're talking about is uh, one of these? Exactly. So you compete in these and like you yourself are competing or no? Yeah, I'm I'm okay as a pilot. I'm not massively good. Um, I kind of stopped flying for quite a few years when I came to to the UK, which was maybe a stupid thing to have done. Um, that friend of mine who has the space age car, he he flies in world championships. He's he's really he's a really good pilot, as is his brother. Wow, wow! I had no idea this was even a an option for a hobby. <laughs> That's so cool. One one of my gliders is really big. It's got like a four meter wingspan. Oh my god! It's a different class to this one. Wow! The last time I was in the Netherlands, I was there partly to see family and partly to fly in a competition. Cool. Even the Dutch guys were amazed that I pitched up on my bike with this giant glider inside a, a, a specially mounted box on the back of my bike. You had it on your bike. No, amazing. A four meter glider, huh? <laughs> Did you, you disassembled it, yeah? Yeah, yeah. That kind of comes yeah. apart into lots of pieces. And, wow. and all my camping kits because we were camping at this competition. Wow. That's awesome. But, yeah, I, I just because I, I, I don't have a car right now. It's. You know, I don't. I mean, I'm fine with owning a car. It's just I don't need one, so I'm not going to bother with the money of owning a car. Right. So um, then I had to get a bit inventive with carrying stuff. Right. Well, it may, it forces you to maximize the potential of your bike, right? And it's it's surprising how much you can carry on a bike. Um, I mean, I, I I have I also have a two seater kayak. It's an inflatable one, but a drop stitch one. So it's almost as good as a hard, not quite as a, right. as a rigid kayak. And I quite regularly take that on a trailer on the back of my bike. Oh, cool. You know, it's just because, and it's almost as easy as, as it would be in a car. So it's immense, the stuff you can carry on a bike. So and I, I, that's why, one of the reasons I've, I haven't really bothered to buy a car in London. When I live further out, I did used to own a car. I had a BMW 5 Series. That'll shock some cyclists. <laughs> um but yeah i mean you know that's when i i did need to drive but now i don't so why have a car then right you can do everything with your bike and then you know use yeah. other transportation when you need to and if i if i need a car i'll rent one right well mike i really appreciate your time uh it's been awesome chatting with you i feel like we could talk for hours more about road safety and all that good stuff. Um, but it's been really cool to hear your perspective and your experience. And I'm grateful to have connected with you. So thank you so much. 
Yeah, thanks for reaching out to me, Ben. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, um, let's keep in touch and yeah, keep doing what you're doing and uh, stay safe on the on the bike out there. You too, man. Cool. All right, thanks, Mike. Well, have a good rest of your day. You too. Bye bye. Bye. All righty. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Cycling Mikey. There you go, a little rhyme at the end for you. Hope you enjoyed. I had no idea what to expect going into this conversation because I have never met Mikey in person, and I didn't know what he would be like because his following on YouTube is largely positive, but there are people who have reacted negatively in saying that he is not a police and shouldn't be doing the things that he's doing and argue that maybe he's not actually solving the problem. But you've heard me say this, but there... I don't think is a clear, easy solution for distracted driving. And what Mikey does is not really going out of his way because it's just him on his commute. He has a camera and he just uploads his recordings to the police and they take care of the rest. So not not much that he's doing to bend over backwards to try to get people in trouble. He's just trying to make the roads that he travels on his bike safer. And I think that's excellent. And we could all benefit from the work that he's doing. Also interesting to talk to someone in a different country about their own distracted driving problems, because it's easy to forget that the United States is not alone in this problem. There are countries that have a much better culture around distracted driving, a much safer culture, a more cycling friendly culture. Um, but it's a worldwide problem, distracted driving, that is. And we can all do our part by driving distraction-free ourselves. So check out eyesupride.com resources to learn how you can make a difference in your own life and share it with some friends. That is one way that we can all make a big difference. Thank you again for listening. Stay tuned. Subscribe to the Eyes Up Life podcast wherever you're listening now. And... Give Eyes Up Ride a follow on Instagram, and we'll keep you updated on any updates that there are to share. In the meantime, be safe. Have a great day. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.